Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio show number 418, uh, which is DEI Leadership, Advancing a Culture of Equity. We're going to be talking about creating an equitable company culture where employees of all backgrounds can thrive. I'm Joe Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage for Success core team. The Engage for Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. My guest today is Kemi Joseph, who's CEO and DEI strategist of Fears Advantage. Welcome, Kemi. Thanks for joining me. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely. So start by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do. Yes, these are big questions, especially in this world where we are trying to honor people with diversity, equity, inclusion, who I am and what I do. Uh, there's many answers, but the short version right now is uh, I am a CEO of Sears Advantage, which stands for Fuel, Equitable Actions, Relationships, and Systems. And, and one thing you'll learn about me is I love bringing a lot of different worlds together. So my professional backgrounds in communication and education and DEI, and also my uh, semi-professional background is in being a performer as well as a hip-hop artist. So I like to really bring all those worlds together, and, and we often, you'll hear a phrase come from our team called flip the script. So with fears advantage, we wanted to flip the script on the word fears, and instead of it being something that continues to fuel separation and anxiety and, and, and anger and in these atrocities, we want to help to flip fears to fuel equitable actions, relationships, and systems. And in this work of DEI, there's been such an increase of fears that we, we, we start with explaining our names so people understand, like, we get it. Things are hard. A lot of people are afraid. And we can actually do something more equitable with all of this tense energy and, and build relationships and systems that allow us to thrive. Mm, lovely. And, and where does this come from for you? Why, why do you do the work that you do? Yeah, this, for me, it, growing up in Miami, Florida, where we have a pretty diverse community, I'm, my, my family is from Haiti, so I was born and raised here in Miami, but I already knew from a very early age that some of the discrimination we've been talking about in America, for example, was never just white and black. It's, for me, growing up down here where there's a lot of different skin colors, there's also a lot of different folks who look black but don't identify in the same way. So there would be discrimination even amongst people. It really became discrimination amongst different people's cultures. So from a very early age, I was aware of culture. And then as I, as I entered my professional life, it would be interesting that people would see my skin color and try to guess my culture, guess where I'm from, just like people see organizations' leadership and, and what's on the website and try to guess what the company culture is. Either way, they're wrong but it's just interesting how we make assumptions on people's culture. So then looking at how do we really create shifts in, in organizations, it dawned on me that it is a culture conversation. If we, 
if we do this well, we can create environments where people can feel safe as who they are and then thrive, especially since we spend most of our time at work. So it, again, it became a combination of a lot of different passions of mine in the workplace and then COVID and the murder of George Floyd really amplified the, the, the need for me that it was no longer an option. It was no longer negotiable. I had to be doing this work at the highest level in order to feel like I was contributing to people's ability to bounce back after so many tragedies and, and their ability to thrive in their personal and professional lives. Mm-hmm. And so for years we've talked about diversity and inclusion, and now it's very much DEI, so diversity, equity, and inclusion. Where's the equity bit come from? Why, why is there that difference? Why is it important to, to look at DEI rather than just the, the, the D and I that we talked about for so many years? Yeah, the diversity and inclusion has been around for about 60 years in the workplace. And then now we're seeing diversity, equity, inclusion has been around for about 20 years. And there's the, the big difference is when there's diversity, generally, if you bring in a group of people together, there will be some versions of diversity. And then there's this level of inclusion that says, okay, we want to be able to help people work together well. Part of the equity piece is giving more people the opportunity to have a say in how they're included, to have a say in how their diversity is honored, how they're able to succeed in the workplace. Because some things that were happening before is that inherently by having inclusion, you can there's, there's one large group that's including another group so that the power was all weighted on one side. So it's very easy to then just exclude that group for whatever reasons as soon as the tides change. When this equity piece allows more folks to have the sense of fairness, if we, if folks are, or if, if people are asking, what does equity mean? Equity means fairness. And so when we create a sense of equity, we say that we already have a group of diverse people. We're practicing inclusion to make sure people can feel like they belong and they have a say in how they thrive in our workplace. Now we have an equation for success. Mm-hmm. And that sort of maps quite nicely across to one of our four neighbours in terms of employee engagement, where we talk about employee voice. So, you mm-hmm. know, not doing to people, but doing things with people sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that's good to, to hear that. So let's that's... talk a bit about DEI and organisations. It's, it's something obviously that is being talked about a lot. And as you say, partly because of things that have happened um, in sort of recent years in terms of um you know, movement issues, things, you know, you talked about George Floyd, Floyd and then, you know, we've had the Me Too movement and all that sort of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it so important within organizations right now? Well, the thing as people start to think, especially as they connect the dots between equity and engagement, we're already seeing that so many people around the world are disengaged. They were already disengaged before the events of, of COVID in the last two years. And what's interesting is Gallup said at least, you know, around 85% of employees around the world are disengaged. And what's interesting is we start to look at how do you re-engage people in the workplace? It is through equity. It is finding out what that person needs to be engaged. Oftentimes, it is having more voice in the organization or more voice in their task, like what, what this, how the decisions impact them, more agency to be able to rise up in the organization and to be advance their career. All of that is diversity, equity, inclusion. Some people do not connect them together. They oftentimes will see diversity, equity, inclusion is just something we do in training, and they don't connect it back to employee engagement. But the, the, the question to be asking the viewers is if we have 
if we have such a diverse workforce, can every person be engaged in the exact same way? The answer is no. So just from answering that question, say, okay, great. If everyone cannot be engaged or won't be engaged in the exact same way, how do we individualize or to provide multiple options? That is practicing diversity, equity, inclusion, just giving more people a way to engage in your workplace and to succeed in a way that also raises the, the, the success of the organization as a whole. And part of the reason it's become so much more important right now is people are understanding the influence that businesses have on our lives. One, because of the, the amount of time we spend at work, but two, because of the ways that businesses impact our economy as well as our world. I mean, COVID showed us that as soon as businesses shut down, the whole world shut down. And mm-hmm. it's important that as, as we, we really recognize that power, I think there's people who have also um, realized that we, we vote with our dollars is, is a phrase that has come up quite a bit that says where we spend our money to so the businesses we spend our money paying, but also where the organizations we support spend their money has become that much more important to people to make sure that they're only supporting organizations or only working for organizations that support the type of world they hope to see. And so there's definitely a lot of pressure on business owners and business leaders. And one thing I will tell to all of them who are listening is that one of our, one of our goals is to really communicate in a sense of fairness to business owners that we as Fears Advantage are not asking business owners to solve all the world's problems. That is not a fair request to make. What's something that we are helping to communicate with people? There's a thing called career equity, which is being able to give somebody equitable journey on their career path. That is what we are saying organizations are absolutely responsible for, to make sure that people can get jobs, also succeed in those jobs and earn a living on on a wage that allows them to thrive at work and in other areas of their lives. That is what business owners are are responsible for. So we that's one of the first lessons we teach people to help to separate out social justice and social equity from career equity to to help business owners focus on where they have the greatest influence. Mm -hmm. And so what should organizations be doing I mean we sort of talked briefly before we came on that I think some of this stuff is some of the issue that we have in employee engagement in that organizations you know they appoint somebody to be responsible and and they they create a program or they create initiatives whatever and then often it becomes you know it's over there in that corner but over here we don't have to do it sort of thing and you know where it should be that how we do things around here, the sort of culture of the organization. So mm-hmm. what can organizations do? And I suppose the, the, the follow-on to that is how do, how do you do that without it becoming, as we say, one of those things that's like over there that you can switch on and switch off? Yeah, these are great questions. I think back to the, the fairness piece, it's, it's one, letting every organization know that one of the fairest things we can let them know is that they're it's okay that it looks different from the group down the street. Again, not every, it's not every employee can be engaged in the same way. Not every organization needs the same tools and resources to be successful. So it's important that folks find out where they currently are. And then oftentimes we say assess instead of make a mess. It's literally assess what initiatives you already have going on that are related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and you can even broaden it to the employee engagement let's assess what's actually working about what you currently have because our goal is always to celebrate those efforts and then build upon them. As folks do assessments, we oftentimes also encourage them to to gather demographic information to get a sense of where 
are the gaps happening? Oftentimes, we will see that there's a gap by tenure. There's often gaps by gender, as well as gaps by department. And so seeing that some people are doing really well in certain areas or from certain backgrounds, whereas other people are not doing well, and when we can actually acknowledge that there's differences, we can find out what's working well for the groups that it, that it is um, supporting and how do we apply that to other groups. When we start to do this, and, and I really want to encourage people to focus on whenever you see a gap, what misalignments are happening that if we can align our organization a little bit better, we can actually move forward more progressively. And when we can shift it away, shift it towards language like misalignment, we invite our whole team to say, how do we get into greater alignment here as opposed to it being a, a shame and blame game? It's saying our mm-hmm. organization will not be able to truly succeed this way if some folks are having a terrible experience. So let's, let's bring in the language of alignment and then after you get that baseline assessment, then you can start to align your initiatives because DEI committees can be helpful. Hiring a chief diversity officer can be helpful. Those things can be helpful as long as they're in alignment with your organization's strategic goals, that they're in alignment with where your organization is seeing as the next steps because then people can see that diversity, equity, inclusion is truly a problem-solving framework. The sad Mm -hmm. piece is that a lot of company cultures enable people to create problems, but they don't enable people to solve those same problems. Mm -hmm. So if we can teach people that diversity, equity, inclusion can be helpful in trainings, can be helpful in committees, can be helpful as executive initiatives, they just have to align those and most importantly communicate progress in those areas in a way that allows people to be a part of the solution. Now they they will actually see what we call micro-progressions that they actually can build upon each other and build a sequential approach that allows them to feel like they're actually making a difference inside of their organization. Mm-hmm. What about that whole sort of um, issue around people sort of lacking confidence in addressing, mm-hmm. um, you know, w- worrying that they might offend somebody or that they might say the wrong thing or that they don't know what the latest sort of um, thinking is around what's appropriate or not appropriate or whatever. I don't mm-hmm, know. People mm-hmm. worry about that. What, what sort of advice have you got for people around that? Yes, back to the, the idea of trainings can be really helpful. It depends on what you're training people on. We generally, <laughs> when we do our trainings, we, we call them action classes. So we're focused specifically on what are the action classes that people, what are the actions people need to, to know how to do in order to make the progressions that we're asking for. And this is being very real that not many people have the competencies to do the, the tasks that we're asking them. Back when we had the diversity and inclusion days, a lot of the conversation was do not say anything. Like, right, keep, keep your mouth shut. That's the best way to stay out of trouble. And now <laughs> yeah. people are hearing, wait, if you stay quiet, you're going to be in trouble. It's, it's an assumption that you are condoning behavior. So people yeah. are like, wait a minute, we've been told for about 40 years to not say anything, and now we're being told we have to speak. We haven't developed the, the skills to actually do it. So part of what we also include when we, when we do our trainings are practice labs. So that way people have a safe space to come and practice in a facilitated arena to make sure that they can practice interventions or even practice saying new, new vocabulary words and, and figuring out what's the authentic version for them. And I always connect diversity, equity, inclusion back to learning a new language because English is my second language. So when I was learning English for the first time, it was, there was a lot more guidance and support. 
There's a lot more opportunities to practice things, certain terminologies and celebrations when I got it right. We, are, we have taken all of that away, all those support systems we've taken away from people now and said, hey, you have to know every gender terminology. You have to know what's a microaggression and how to address it, but we haven't provided the guidance. So I feel like that's a very unfair approach right now, which is why we do what we do, providing action classes and then practice labs so people can gain the skills they need to actually succeed in this arena. Yes, yeah, yeah. What about um, organizations where they're not quite getting it right? You know, there's organizations who aren't even trying, and then there's organizations who are trying who are having the opposite effect, Um, and (laughs) perhaps others who are, you know, I don't know, even worse than that. what uh, examples have you got? <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell leaders that uh, when you you get when you auto correct, you get more respect, right? So that there was I was doing a training on implicit bias, and at one point I said something to the effect of, you know, I I want to make sure I can communicate properly because I don't want it to fall on deaf ears. And then in front of the whole group, I said, oh, actually, that's not how I want to say. It. I don't want to say fall on deaf ears because that's not really a terminology that I want to use anymore because that that to me, that can be insensitive to the deaf community. So instead, I said, I just don't want this, mis- this mis- miscommunication to to cause confusion, right, which is what I really yeah. was trying to say in the first place. And as I auto-corrected myself within the scope of a minute or so, somebody in the chat was like, thank you, because as somebody who's in the deaf community, I was already going to be like, this person doesn't care about me. I was like, wow, you're saying this in real time right now that I caught myself and I, and I corrected it and apologized. And then by the time we were reflecting on the end of the class, I asked people what was most valuable. They said that moment right there was most valuable because they saw me auto-correct myself without somebody having to jump in, without someone having to call out, uh, call me out as a leader. This is very important that when, as, as individuals, if we can auto-correct ourselves and be able to mm-hmm. catch a moment and say, oh, that's not what I meant to say. Here's what I really want to say, and I apologize, or... I allowed my team to see that I'm still learning. That goes such a long way. And when we, when we apply that to the organization piece, as you were asking, if the organization is taking efforts, if your organization is taking efforts and they're not aligned with success and you're really feeling more friction or people are getting more frustrated, people are opting out, these are indicators that there's some misalignment. How do we, how do we check in with our team and say what would be more helpful right now? Right, because yeah. some, some folks are feeling very attacked in these spaces. So it's like, what else would be helpful? Do they know they could do practice labs or have one-on-one conversations? Do they know that they, they can build more trust with each other before going into the next presentation? Do they know that they can assess and really give uh, honest feedback before the next uh, initiative is built to make sure that initiative is built with their feedback? Right, if, mm-hmm. if organizations are, are just... Um, kind of circling around the tension and the and the social warfare, they're never going to get past it unless they take more intentional efforts to again practice the equity piece and give people a better say and in creating a better experience. Mm-hmm. That's a really good example. And can we just talk a little bit about what you've been referring to as microaggressions? I'm, I'm not sure that all the listeners would necessarily know what you mean by that. And I, I think mm-hmm. from some um, training that I was involved in recently, um, that example you just gave about the phrase deaf ears um, mm-hmm. would be a microaggression, which I think my understanding is 
sometimes it's, it's things that we say, phrases that we say, but we don't think about where they've come from and what they mean to people. And mm-hmm. those people who are affected by it see, you know, see that as a, an aggression um, towards them sort of thing, even though that isn't necessarily the intention of a person using that phrase. And it's about uh, sort of getting people to understand those things so that they can do exactly what you did and correct. Is that or mm-hmm. not using the first place or correct if they have said from there? Is, is that? what microaggressions are or how would you describe yes, that? Yes, that's one. That's a solid uh, recap, too. And then the, the microaggressions have been so confusing to folks that I love the work of Dr. Wing Su, who kind of who also separated them into micro-assaults, micro-insults, and micro-invalidations, because to me this helps me better understand this. So I can give you a quick uh, example of the three. So again, micro-assaults, micro-insults, and micro-invalidations so a micro-assault is when, we, when a person intentionally behaves in a discriminatory way while intending to, to not be offensive, right? So they might say a racist joke or some sexist joke and then say, oh, I was just joking, or why are you being so sensitive? Come on, you should be able to take a joke. So that's a micro-assault, whereas yeah. a micro-insult is then someone making a comment or action that is unintentionally discriminatory where, like you just mentioned, um, this idea that we might say something without even thinking it, we thought it might even be a compliment, like, oh, you should smile more, or telling somebody like myself, oh, your people will be so proud of you. It's like, oh, what is that really? What are you actually saying right now about me? Um, and then there's these micro invalidations when a person's comment invalidates or undermines an experience of a certain group. So it might be, like I just said, falling on deaf ears or. Um, when, when, if you were to tell me of an issue that you had with someone, I just said, oh, that's just how they are, or they grew up in a different time, right? That can be very invalidating to your experience. And mm-hmm. so this is when, I, when we separated that way, really gave me and other people a frame of reference to say, oh, I can see how I can invalidate someone even if I didn't insult them or assault them. And some mm-hmm. people are, are saying they're really looking for the micro assault and saying, I'm going to call out every blatant act of discrimination, but a lot of them show up in the insult and invalidation range, including people in meetings being um, just straight up invalidated by no one, no one um, validating their opinion or, you know, we hear this a lot with, um, with minority folks or, or female folks that say, hey, I, I say something in a meeting and either someone doesn't acknowledge it or another male voice will say the exact same thing a few minutes later and people all of a sudden think it's a great idea. Those are invalidations even without someone directly insulting or directly uh, assaulting someone else. So that was really helpful for us to be able to provide it to people in that terminology and help them categorize it. And then there's different interventions for each one of those. Um, And that way we we apply our efforts more accordingly. Mm Mm-hmm. And so again, from a sort of organizational point of view, that the bit about sort of employee voice and getting people to be able to speak up and, and explain their experiences must be so helpful. I mean, I think about conversations I've had where I'm trying to talk to, uh, you know, white males and say, well, this is your experience of the world. I'm a white female and this is my experience of the world. And then we've got all sorts of other <laughs> sort of categorizations, if you like, and you know, I can understand the female bit, but I can't necessarily understand the race bit because of who I am. And, and how, how do you as an organization encourage those discussions across all the, the diverse 
sort of groups of people so that people can start to understand that we're all starting from a different position because of who we are and what our experiences are and so on. Yeah, I really appreciate that perspective. That's the piece where we start talking to organizations about creating a culture of equity, which is why the title of this conversation, because we're we're in a what about me culture, where as we start to work to support one group, another group raises their hand, like, what about me? Like, you're invalidating yeah. my experience, and this is literally the land that we're in right now. How do we acknowledge different people's experiences and say, yes, you've had different experiences, and right now we're prioritizing the support of a blank group in order to make sure that they're, they're being the most marginalized or they're the most underrepresented, uh, underrepresented in our organization right now. So we want to be able to provide like systematic guidance for them. This is yeah. where we start to having to piece these apart. And I, I love what you're also talking about, because if we also can acknowledge that we, we all are able to practice microaggressions, right? It's not, there's not just one skin color that does microaggressions. We all do them to each other. And there's time when we can acknowledge this and we say, okay, there's ways that we can all micro progress, which is the flip side for us of shifting microaggressions into micro progressions. And, you know, sometimes we're asked folks, well, regardless of whether or not you feel like you're a perpetrator or you're a victim of a microaggression, what are you doing to add more micro progressions in the workplace? How are you micro protecting people, micro affirming people? micro validating people and we shift the conversation to what are you doing we're absolutely mm-hmm. we, we generally work with the organization through strategic planning and more system-wide efforts and we're saying well every single person in the organization impacts the culture so it's important to make sure every person sees themselves as an owner and a contributor of micro progression so if we can look at this from the, per, the individual perspective and the organization perspective we take them on a change management journey knowing that organizational change is the result of all these individual changes. So we let folks know that it is a progressive conversation that has to involve each one of them, including making sure at the individual level we can ask folks what's in it for you and what's in it for the people you care about. So that way folks are not feeling like that we're forcing them to do or we're also not stigmatizing equity, which is another barrier that folks will get into. That If we start to stigmatize people in this process, they are way less likely to continue the journey or to do it in a way that actually will bring more good than harm. Yeah, yeah. I love just the the, the, the use of micro in all of those things that you said, because <laughs> yeah. one of the things I bang on about all the time, and again, it's one of the, the four enablers, um, we talk about um, treating people as individuals. And, you know, I always talk about, you know, it's not treat people as you'd like to be treated, it's treat people as how they'd like to be treated. And, and you know, if you do what you want, then you're going to get it wrong with many people because they're not you. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it, it's um, we, we try and be macro too much in terms of groups mm-hmm. of people and, and trying to sort of deal with groups, big groups. And actually, if you're looking at individuals, micro has got to be the way to go, hasn't it? So I love the fact that that's 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 in there we've just got a couple of minutes left what 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 are your final thoughts on on the whole topic (laughs) (laughs) that's all the things so i would say that just especially to the last point just let's be real that it can be exhausting and it can also be um very uh time consuming as we start to think about uh shifting and taking care of individuals and that that really is the journey that we're on. I think people try to confuse the journey and say, "Oh, we have to do all this for a whole team." It's like they, they'll they'll plan epic trainings and do great strategic planning, and then 
they they treat their team like garbage on a day-to-day basis. Like, all right, we can't ignore that. It's very much an individual conversation as well. And the, 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 the big piece I'll, I'll just share here at the end is because the journey is long, this is why we started talking about it in micro progressions. How do we continue to progress on a day-to-day, on a regular basis? And also, how do we celebrate the progress? Oftentimes, when we do assessments or, or bigger check-ins with the organization, they feel like it might invalidate their efforts. They're like, oh, we were, we've been doing so much. It's like, yeah, you have been doing so much. Does your team even know about it? Are you celebrating this? And in terms of culture, what you celebrate, you emanate, right? When organizations are saying we're really proud of our, our efforts for employee engagement or for diversity, equity, inclusion, here's what we're doing. Our team feels that they get a chance to check in and help to course correct. Then everybody can also embrace it, and they also start telling people externally. So we, we start to build uh, a whole uh, culture of equity where folks actually feel excited for the intentional efforts to make sure the organization is a fair and forward-thinking institution. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Kerry. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think we should get you Me back. Um, yes, as you know, we'll, it's long- <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you back in probably in 2023 by that time. But uh, <laughs> and, you know, what will have changed in the in you know in the next year? But thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you, and thank you to all the listeners. We really appreciate y'all. Lovely, and just to let you know. I'm back next week with Anwen Botwa, and she's the founder of Purple Sky Consulting, and we'll be talking about the key components to enable leaders to love leading. So I look forward to catching up with you again next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.